The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 34. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barocko Comics. This week's episode, we continue the Matinee Idols Month collaboration between the PKD Black Box and the Matinee Idols podcast as Matinee Idols host Matt Burden stops by the show as we discuss part one of some of our favorite 80s action movies of all time. Uh, This is actually a pretty heavy list, so heavy that this episode will be broken down into two segments. This is part one, and next week, be on the lookout for the State of the Film Industry episode with myself, along with special guests from Matinee Idols, Joey Alusio and Alec Berry of the Matinee Idols podcast as well, so be on the lookout for that. So, because this episode is so action-packed, we're just going to go ahead and we're just going to go to our feature presentation right after the break but i want to let you know next week's show you're going to hear the state of the film industry talk i'm going to have a review of the adam warrock west coast avengers mixtape i'm going to tell you about some web comics that you need to be reading and other odds and ends on top of that next week's show will be fantastic just like this week's show so sit back relax and let yourself go don't sweat what you heard but act like you know peace I'm joined via the Skype line today by my good buddy and friend, Matt Burden. Matt Burden is the host of the Burden's World podcast, and he is also one of the four co-hosts of the spectacular movie-oriented podcast known as Matinee Idols. Matt, how are you doing today? I am I am doing just fine. I'm I'm privileged and honored to be on an award-winning show for a change. Um, I'm good, thank you, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, we were award-nominated. We well, we were not award-winning, just nominated. From, well, from the hearts of the idols, you were you won. Okay, so 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 know that anyway. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I I appreciate that, sir. I had the opportunity of first meeting Matt during a recording of Matinee Idols. Um, when we were talking about it, it was like an all trailer episode where we were going through uh, some of the trailers for the summer movies of 2010. And I'd heard Matt on, on Matinee Idols a couple of times before, you know, really great guy, you know, funny, you know, funny conversation. You know, he could be serious when he needs to be. And after that recording we did, I had such a good time. I, I made a vow to make sure I would, you know, get some of the Matinee Idols on the PKD Black Box. For those people that don't know who the Matinee Idols are and what they do, uh, Matt, can you tell them a little bit about them? Okay, thank you. Well, the Matinee Idols, was I guess we we kind of got together about, probably about a year ago, um, and it all came out of a recording that myself and Alec Berry from Teenage Wasteland did, episode 25. And it really was just, I'd been listening to Teenage Wasteland for quite a while, and me and Alec had started uh, emailing each other and then it was just do you want to come on um, and during the uh, the conversation it was it was supposed to be quite comic centric and it 
came out during that conversation just as part of the way I speak and probably the way you do too, Sean. It's just movies are part of our vocabulary, our, our dialogue and, and the way that we speak. And it was just really falling on deaf ears. You know, I was dropping stuff that I was so used to people going, I know exactly what you mean. And, and Alec, Alec, Alec was 17 at that point. And, and I have to say, anyone that's listened to the show that doesn't know his age will probably be quite surprised because he doesn't come across as what I perceive to be an average now 18-year-old. He's, you know, he's an educated guy. He's, uh, he's an altogether kind of guy. And it just occurred to me at that time, it's just an assumption of mine that people have seen the stuff that I, you know, that 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 I just assume is kind of automatic. You know, everyone has seen the Usual Suspects. Everyone's seen Pop Fiction, Jerry Maguire, Karate Kid, um, Terminator. You know, just just stuff that that it's I just assume is is kind of universally popular. And that kind of sowed the seed. I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting to do um, a show where? A few of us are uh, finding films. It started out with nostalgic films, films that um, held a lot of nostalgia for us, and then it kind of grew. Alec said, "Look, I've got a I've got a friend of mine called Joey, um, who's really into films, and and that's that's an understatement and a half. I mean, the, the guy brings so much to the show." Um, and then a friend of mine, Vern, Vern Griffiths, who I met through my job, I, I sold a flat for him and we got to talking because comics came up and he's a comics fan and he's um, a stand-up comedian and, um, and, a, and an actor um, over here in the UK. And the four of us got together and we started doing this show and probably I'd say once, sometimes twice a month, we do a spotlight episode on a particular movie. We'll revisit it to name but a few, Jurassic Park, Blade Runner, Leon the Professional, Jaws, Ghostbusters, things that are classics. Every now and again, Joey especially will throw in something that isn't as well known. Uh, we took a look at The Lookout a little while ago, The Wackness we just recorded, which was a lot of fun to do. Um, it, but then again, we'll do Judgment Night or, or or something like that, which which has got a we've now found has got a cult following. People are now emailing us saying, "I found your show because I was googling Judgment Night and, and I came to it through there." So we're having a, a lot of fun. I think the emphasis is fun um, as much as we do try to critique these movies and and try and be insightful and and hopefully informative at the same time. It all in a good spirit, all in good fun. So we've moved from the Blogspot site over to matineeidols.com. And now we've, we've got people writing for the site, including yourself. We have an article from Sean. We do have a review of Sean. That, oh, from a ooh, that, that, that reminds me. i got to write some more articles. <laughs> well, you need to go on more dates with your wife um, to do that, I think. I think So stop doing this. You know, why are you talking to me? You need to take your missus out and go and see more movies <laughs> <laughs> so you can write about them. He reviewed Date Night, if that falls on deaf ears. But, um, yeah, Sean's writing for us. We've got Jay Stringer from the Do Some Damage podcast um, writing for us as well, doing an amazing job. I mean, the, the amount of content that that guy sends over is is amazing um he does a, a really good article probably about once every two weeks about an awful movie and why potentially we actually secretly like it guilty pleasure of some kind or what makes it actually bad but yeah it's it, it's a good time there's always a lot of content so yeah do do check us out if that sounds like your bag anyway so that's that's matinee idols spelt very strange i-d-l-e-s for some reason i don't know why i, I guarantee we lose listeners because of that <laughs>
we want to talk about some of our favorite 80s action movies. If you've noticed over the past two or three years, there's been a resurgence of the 80s action film in American cinema. And by that I mean lots of action, um, lots of um, over-the-top type dealings. Just the way the, the films are put together, the way they're filmed, composed, everything from beginning to end. A lot of these films, you can see similarities uh, if you look at the Transporter films. Any Jason Statham film other than the bank job and that movie that he did for Huey Bowl. <laughs> they are literally, they're action, they're action films built with a 1980s model. And we've seen a bunch of these, even in the, even in the direct-to-video market. But... I grew up as a, as a kid of the 80s, and you know I got to see Schwarzenegger from the ground up, Bruce Willis, Eddie Murphy, Chuck Norris, all these guys. And this is like a big reflection on my childhood, and I know, Matt, you know you grew up on these films too. So I figured we'd get together and uh, discuss some of them. Yeah, I'm, I just want to make it clear I'm fully clothed during this recording, even though, <laughs> even though a lot of people I've spoken to about this thing have said that sounds too much like your bag, Matt, and, and you, that's going to be far too comfortable for you. This is, this is heaven for me, Sean, so um, <laughs> if you hear squeaking or groaning of any kind, just, yeah, feel free, just mute me, it's fine. Oh, no problem, you're fine, man. It'll, it'll be gold, we'll keep it all in. It's gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, i tell you what, look. I'm going to let you start because you're the guest. So uh, tell me, one of your, um, what's one of your favorite 80s action movies? Complete guilty pleasure of mine. I could have done Karate Kid, but I've spoke about it quite a lot on a few other shows. <laughs> so I'm going to choose the movie that, that kind of wanted to be Karate Kid, but kind of moved someone else into the um, limelight way back when in uh, 1986. Uh, and we have Mr. Corey Young um, bringing Jean-Claude Van Damme into the fray with no retreat, no surrender. Well, if I could take that off my list. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Let's go. Um, okay, no retreat, no surrender. The plot, so to speak, is Karate Kid, but with ghosts, basically. You, you've got the young protagonist of the movie, who I've, uh, having re-watched this movie, I mean, his name's Jason, uh, and basically the, the, the premise of the movie is that he is learning karate in his home. To, he moves to Seattle, doesn't he? During this movie, I, I think so. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah, he moves to Seattle. Wherever he is at the beginning, he's not there in the middle of the movie. Um, and his father um, runs a dojo, and he's obviously not a very good sensei because Jason is a red belt at this stage. And I would think if your dad ran a karate school, you wouldn't be. I don't. I don't quite get it. I just don't understand. Anyway, the very thin storyline is that after a training session, one suited tough, a white suited um, Russian gentleman with, with very bad slick back hair um, and a karate suited gentleman walk in and basically say, um, have you thought about my proposition? And then the dad says, you can forget it. And the dad speaks, he's, his dialogue is paced as if it's dubbed. It's paced as if you know how you know in, in all the kung fu movies is you need to step outside. He yes. speaks in that way, but it's not necessary. I don't know. <laughs> all of all, he's my favorite character in the film. He, um, Jason's dad. All of his delivery is just ridiculous. It's it's so funny. Karate is not to be used aggressively you don't you're not you're not Japanese. You don't have to speak in that way. It's like so weighted. But basically, um. It, some street toughs are kind of putting some pressure on him to join some fictitious organization, which just gets completely forgotten during the course of the movie. And uh, he gets his leg broken by Van Damme uh, by jumping off his bearded friend and 
kicking him in the leg. Um, and then the father then uh, says, okay, we need to up and move. They move to Seattle. Jason then uh, shows that he's completely obsessed with Bruce Lee by decorating his garage with uh, various posters, punch balls. He makes friends with a guy called DJ who pretends he can moonwalk, backflip, and ride a BMX and do terrible basketball and call them skills. Um, <laughs> And uh, and then gets bullied as most kids in these movies do um, by fat people with ketchup all over them. Um, and um, then he decides to visit Bruce Lee's grave and ask the ghost of Bruce Lee to um, teach him kung fu as opposed to karate. He does, and then he beats John Claude Van Damme at the end. That's pretty much um, <laughs> no retreat, no surrender. But within it, it's just it's insane. When I look back at it, when you look back at it now. No, RJ. His name's RJ, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, his, it his, is. His, his good friend, his friend. RJ is is just bizarre. All of the casting is is terrible, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Oh, it's super cheesy and over the top. Yeah, yeah, completely. I, I'd like to be part of the casting session that cast that cast the fat dude. I've I've always wondered how that works in Hollywood. It's kind of we have a role for for a portly guy, um, not like charming portly, but kind of nasty portly what who do you have and you can imagine the guy's agent going i've got a really nasty portly guy i'll give him a call and send him over he could eat burgers and and beat somebody up and he's just horrible he's just a horrible horrible character but but works perfectly at it what's worse though is that well i shouldn't say worse but this is this goes back to the whole thing about 80s rated pg films as opposed to a film nowadays that's rated pg nowadays this would be like a pg-13 film but like when it was released like over here in the states it was you know over here in the u.s it was rated pg i don't know what it was rated o- over over where you are but it would um, be a 15 it'd be a it would yeah it would have been a 15 and i've got to say that the version that i watched back uh, way back when on video on vhs had the dvd version that i now have has more in it but the stuff it has more of is dialogue and small crappy character moments um, and I only noticed this the other day in, in kind of rewatching it it's like, I don't remember that you know the dad the dad after he gets his leg broken is lying in the hospital and they do this inner monologue where they zoom in on him and he says I can't believe that um, he wants to buy my dojo I know it's just a front for his mob activities I must move to Seattle and <laughs> And that wasn't in the version I watched as a kid, which was bought from a shop legitimately on VHS. Mm. So it's quite surprising to me that in the UK they didn't edit out the violence of like the leg snap or some of the you know more violent kung fu sequences. They they just edited out what they considered to be useless character building. (laughs) (laughs) Character building. This film is being released by New World. (laughs) We don't need that stuff. (laughs) Fuck it. Cut it. <laughs> this movie opened in only like 241 theaters, according to uh, boxofficemojo.com. This film did not make a lot of money opening weekend. It made like about $700,000. Had a net gross of uh, $4 million in the United like $4.6 million in the United States. I saw this movie on HBO. And so, like, you know, my mom and I watched it. You know, I was just fascinating, fascinated with like the ghost of Bruce Lee helping Jason beat people up. And yeah, so, with with the use of Coca Cola and water. Yes, yes, and not only that, but Jean Claude Van Damme playing a Russian. Mm. That is funny. Really funny. <laughs> and he only has one line in the movie. What was his one line? It is you, the son, is it not? <laughs> oh, actually, no. He has two. He has two lines. He says that, and then the guy nods, and then he says, "You're good," and Jason says, "I get better." And then that's it. <laughs> but that's not the best line in the movie. Do you want to know what the best line in the movie is? What's, what's the best line? 
Best line in the movie, okay? The dad now is in in Seattle. He's not a karate instructor anymore because he believes that what he was teaching these kids was not to be ever used. Which I, I he, he even when he's on the floor holding his leg, he shouts, "Jason, Jason, no, fighting is not the answer. No, because you clearly suck at it." <laughs> Why are you, what? And 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 Jason even says, "So what is the answer, Dad?" fade to seattle i don't understand the message you know karate kid has a clear message you know he needs closure i need to do this for me please rub your hands together and massage my legs so that i can get out there and kick the blonde boy's ass that's that's the point of karate kid with with no retreat no surrender it's just the point is please get me to this point where i can get bruce lee's ghost to teach me cool shit and then i can have a really good fight at the end um but the the dad is just he teaches karate but he doesn't think people should use it and he keeps shouting about it karate is not to be used aggressively i won't fight you slap to the face i won't fight you kick to the groin it he's just ridiculous and he's working at this bar and there's these kind of uh, drunkard guys in the bar who keep who tip beer all over the pool table and are just making trouble um and they're drunk and they keep going up to him and going hey mr karate man show some of your chapsaki and 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 they just they're clearly bullying him but it gets to the point where one of them i think puts their hand on his shoulder and this now crippled karate instructor gets him in this kind of arm stroke face lock and escorts him out of the bar and the camera's kind of hurrying him down this corridor if that had been done by scorsese goodfella style that would have been great but he he kind of ushers him down goes to kick him through the thing um and he says you and your friends never come back and the guy with and i think i think the guy's got a finger in his mouth as part of this lock and he says i'll be back and i'll get you and that's it he just throws he throws him out of the place, and lo and behold, he comes back, and Jason defends his dad. But I, for whatever reason, like myself and my group of friends at that time, that would always be, I'll be back and I'll get you. If we were, yeah, if we were horsing around and uh, and something had occurred, or that would always be a punchline. I'll be back and I'll get you. Is the hardest thing this street tough could come out with. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> it wasn't. I'm going to go and get me some knives, and I'm going to get a, a big group of guys, and we're going to smash up your place and we're going to wear skeleton uniforms yeah we're going to roll a spliff get wet and just we're going to we're yeah we're going to wear skeleton uniforms and (laughs) and kick your ass (laughs) but instead he just says i'm going to go get my dad basically And to be honest with you, I thought that you were going to name the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie I'm about to name as your first film. I watched it with the missus last night for like the first time in ages. It's on my list, so just do it, dude. Blood sport. (laughs) Blood sport, blood sport, blood sport. Dude, I forgot how much I enjoyed this movie. First off, let me say once again. This movie is pure camp. I mean, it's based off of a true story about Frank Dukes. And according to the uh, synopsis on um, imdb.com, basically what happens is is that, um, here it is right here, comments by actor-writer Roy C. Peterson on IMDb. Well, anybody can get credit for anything nowadays. This movie is the true story of an American fighter, Frank Dukes, the first Westerner ever to win the Kumite. 
the tournament is illegal because opponents can it's be killed. It's the kumte. I have to. I have okay. to interrupt you. The kumte. It's the, it's the kumte. Thank you, sir. The kumte. No problem. I couldn't. I couldn't have you go through with the kumite. No. Okay. The kumte. Thank you. Sir. There you go. <laughs> the tournament is illegal because opponents can be killed, but it's held in secret periodically anyway. Dukes developed his own fighting style based on the principles of focus, action, skill, strategy, and tactics. He's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you said strategy and tactics, and then you say, and he's also played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> oh, and it says his main opponent is played by Bolo Young. Yes. And has similar qualities and is, magnific- and is magnificent and scary as Chong Li. Now... It says, towards the end of the film, Van Damme reenacts Duke's winning, even after being blinded by cocaine, which was thrown into his eyes. This actually happened. The whole purpose of the film is um, Frank, Frank Dukes, I'm trying my best not to say Jean-Claude, but Frank Dukes goes into this tournament, and he's going into this tournament basically for revenge against Chong Lee, correct? Yes. I'm, okay. Um, no, no, he's no, no. not. No, he's out. Um, no, he's not. He's he's doing it to honor his um, sensei. Okay. By the end of the movie, he's he's very happy that he's facing him because one of his good friends gets injured during the process. But he enters the tournament to kind of honor his um, his sensei, okay. who I think he passed he passed away or yeah he 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 dies unfortunately, and so he does it to kind of honor his um, honor you Shidoshi, I believe is the is the term. A lot of things I like about this film is like all the versatile fighting styles. Now, back in 1988, that was a big deal. I mean, you had, you know, Jean Claude style. You had um, Bolo Young. He had his own style. Let's see, his friend, uh, Frank's friend, uh, was it uh, Ray? You know, Ray was pretty much just a street brawler. Ray Jackson. Yeah, Ray Jackson was pretty much just a street brawler. I'm like, yeah, hey, that that dude from Revenge of the Nerds. But um, <laughs> I'm like, what's he doing scrapping? I'm like, he doesn't look like he could hold his own. But, but now you know how he got that funny eye. Yes. <laughs> and, um, but there are like so many styles like you know you have some um, you have like the kick you have a kickboxer style you have this one dude I swear it was like this jungle animal like the, cra- monkey, dude. the, the monkey dude that dude was like freaking me out last night because even my wife was starting to get irritated and was like this dude is working my nerves why don't we do something besides bounce around and I was like no that's part of his style and then he fought the sumo wrestler I was yeah. like yeah this dude is done but the thing is, is part of his style scratching his ear and 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 picking fleas out of his his head because he takes it to that point. He takes it to that where he's kind of. It's almost like he is an animal. It's it's bizarre. But there's so many colorful characters in in it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a WWF production. Yes, it um, is. And and but what's really funny is is that you may not. Re- I mean, I'm sure you you know this, but like a lot of people oh, yeah. haven't seen this film in a long time. A young Forrest Whitaker is in this film as yep. like a military police officer. By and the he's a Rollins. prick. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, him, him and his partner are trying to get Frank Dukes to uh, come back to the states. There are a couple of scenes where, like, where Forrest Whitaker and um, or Rollins and Helmer they they dig into their their suit jackets and they pull out these tasers. And these tasers look like dustbusters, like cut in yeah. half. I'm like, these are the biggest tasers known to mankind. Are you trying to explain to me and show me that this is a taser? Well, guess what? Mission accomplished. This thing is taking yeah. up the whole screen. But they are awful. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like they're as big as Danny Glover's mobile phone in, a, in another movie that we'll probably talk about. Oh. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Bloodsport. I saw Bloodsport in high school. So for me, Bloodsport was the Enter the Dragon aside, and I can safely say that because it's a 1970s movie. Enter the Dragon aside was probably um, Bloodsport was one of the most important kind of martial arts movies for me to get me hooked again 
in 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 martial arts. You know, way back when I did, I did, I watched Enter the Dragon at an insanely young age. Now that I look back at it, I I wrote an article for matinee idols where I make the point that some, one of the magical things about these eighties insanely violent eighties action movies was the circumstances in which you watch them as a youngster you would probably watch them at either um at somebody somebody's house who had either cool or very irresponsible parents um and and enter the dragon was no exception for me so that was kind of the initial hook hook for me to get me into you know the martial art movies there followed the you know the other bruce lee movies and then along came bloodsport and no it it isn't bruce lee but it's flamboyant and there's all these different styles and it's like it's it's the adult version of karate kid it's it's kind of like the next the next kind of logical step do i care whether he gets the girl no do i care whether you know he has some moody scene where he's um <laughs> on a bus looking at his reflection through some raindrop strewn window while he thinks about poor Jackson. No. Oh, the but montage, some... yes. But oh, see, it, 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 has, it has what every 80s action movie needs, a montage. And a rock ballad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you also get lingering shots at, of, um, of, of course, of Jean-Claude Van Damme getting dressed that became that became um, a motif of, of Van Damme movies. Just just popping the pants up slightly, just to give you a lingering shot for for the ladies or or those inclined um, in the audience. Um, and also, of course, um, he would do the splits a number of times during the film, whether it be across chairs, across trees, or or, or whatever. But the all of the all of the colourful characters and the one-liners and stuff, I absolutely love it. The guy that they go to to be his guide around um, around Kumte. Yeah, it's like, that would make you Frank Ducks. No, it's Dukes. Like, put up your Dukes, right? I, I, I've I memorised, for whatever reason, all of that stuff is just ingrained, <laughs> ingrained <laughs> in my head. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, um, it's a classic. I love it. One, like, another thing I, I like about the movie, see, I saw, I was, let's see, I was 12 when this movie came out, and my mom took me to go see it. Oh, my God. It, I mean, that's the kind of parents I had, though, because my mom loved action movies. I mean, my mom loves action movies. My mom loved comic. My mom loved comic books. She got me into comic books as a kid. I kind of have strong feelings for your mother right now, and and not <laughs> in any in any other way than I just want her to be my mum, kind of like Samuel Jackson's mum in Unbreakable. Um. <laughs> but no, she. You know, we we went to go see this together, and I just remember like my mom's the type of person where. She'll like talk to me like when we go to the movie, she would talk to me, but she wouldn't be loud. And it's not like she's talking to the screen, but she wouldn't be loud, but she would talk to me. And when Ray Jackson got to uh, fight Chong Lee, I'm like, as a kid, even I knew I'm like, man, Ray is about to get it because (laughs) because he's not listening. He's not listening to Frank. Frank's telling him, yo, go for the stomach. Punch him in the stomach. His stomach is weak. Punch him there. Get him. Take him out. And Ray's like, oh, I got it. I got it. Let me drink a beer. I got it. Let me let me get my Harley Davidson headband on. I got it. I watched go for Revenge. The gut. Yeah, go for the gut. Go for the gut. And he, he wouldn't do it. So the fight starts, and like Ray gets like a couple of hits in. Chong Lee falls to the ground, right? And he turns around, starts like, you know, Ray turns around, starts like gloating yeah. to the crowd. And my mom is like, turns to me, he's like, what is he doing? Go get him. Why is he doing anything? And I just said, Mom, I, I don't know. I said, he's about to get it, isn't he? She's like, yep, baby. He about to get it. <laughs> and, then, and then you know I love it. and then Crunch. Chong then Chong Lee, you know, takes him out and then he ends up in the hospital. One funny thing about that film, and I didn't know this notice this until last night. 
because you know we know Bolo from uh, Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now Bolo's pretty freaking huge in this movie. I mean, he, I mm-hmm. mean, I don't. I'm talking about like steroid huge. And in this film, I mean, he was big in, in Enter the Dragon, but I don't know if they dubbed his voice. But if you notice, every time he talks, because he doesn't talk to toward the end of the film after he, you know, after he takes out, um, he takes out Ray Jackson, and literally it's silent. I mean, dead silent. And and Chong Lee points at Frank Dukes and is like, "You are next." That doesn't sound like Bolo. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. He he has like three lines in that movie. He does the "You are next." He does the. I mean, we we joked around about this on Twitter about what two months ago, with with Bolo saying, um, "Bricks don't hit back," and then you pipe back, "No, it was boards." And I was like, "Hey, Bloodsport, it's Bloodsport. It's not Enter the Dragon, man." Okay, <laughs> and he did that that hilarious thing where um. He has to punch a brick, and there's two bricks on top, and there's one at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And he says, "If you, if you truly, if if um, Senzo Tanaka is your Shidoshi, then show us the dimbak." And Ray Jackson says, "What the hell is a dimbak?" And he says, "Dev touch," <laughs> and does he does the 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 fifteen second goes on. Luke glances at his watch. He's still fucking doing He's still doing his Van Dam noise. And then you do you get a little Bolo Young line, and then right at the end he points. To, he's got Ray's bandana around his knee, and he yeah. points to it, and he says, "Now I break you like I break your friend." And you're exactly right. It's completely silent, and they've they've just got some work experience chap in from from I don't know where to come in and just could you do a spooky voice that might sound like Chung Lee because Chung Lee actually talks a bit like this. <laughs> do you think I'd, maybe he's just got a very squeaky voice, and they they just had to dub him over? But it was your you're absolutely right. Like there was no even background noise. Yeah. It's just like you lost all noise, and then all of a sudden, you are next. It was almost <laughs> like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky Four. Yes. Please tell me Rocky Four is not on your list. Um, Rocky Four is on my list, but if you want to go ahead and talk about Rocky Four, you can. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm. Good. <laughs> I mean, I'm up, there's some things that upset me about Rocky Four, and I'm, I'm willing to talk about it later, but not right now, though. But, okay. But the last, I swear, the last thing I want to talk about Bloodsport when I was watching yeah. it with my wife last night. She, like, there's a scene where uh, Frank is trying to tell the reporter uh, Janice, "It's like, look, it's dangerous. You can't go in there. You're not allowed to show up." Blah 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 blah. So then she sneaks in with another guy, right? And she's in, and this is an 80s film because she's got this crazy 80s hairdo where her hair on one side is like, you know, pulled down in curls. And then the yep. other side is like tightly knit and like strapped to the side of her hair. So it looks like she has a caterpillar on her head. Yeah. The craziest shit I've ever seen. But anyway, she's in there for that, right? And she keeps telling Frank that this is dangerous and she doesn't want him to do it. And even goes to the local local authorities to like get him arrested, so like the uh, so the military police can take him home. He I know en- what's coming. He ends up, you know, going to the fight anyway to fight Chong Lee. And lo and behold, the two MPs and Janice are there to watch the fight. I'm like, wait a minute. If it was dangerous and she wasn't allowed to come, but now she can just walk in with the greatest of ease with two Americans. Oh, it's okay now. And then, then, she, then she's just cheering the whole time he's fighting. And Lee's like, I hate that bitch. How you gonna sit there and tell and tell him? Oh, she was going off. It's uh, like, you can't cheer now. You told me you didn't want him, want him to be in the damn thing. And then you're going to try to get him arrested. Oh, now you want to cheer and be his friend. Fuck that bitch. Boy, I was going all, I was uh, laughing so geez, hard. So. That's, that's hilarious. It would have been funny if Van Damme stopped at one point and just said to Chong Lee, can we have time out? I just need, to have, just need to have a little chat. And just popped to the side and said, listen, you're a bit of a hypocrite. 
what are you doing here? First of all, you're dressed like a prostitute. What the fuck is that on your head? Okay, we're, we're over after this. All right? We're not going to have a dreamy scene where I kiss you near a plane because you're double standards and you brought these two cops as well and I beat them up with a sports bag earlier um, because that is a bizarre sequence as well. Yes, There's like a, he, he's walking very slowly towards the entrance of the Kumite and um, random uh, Southern Asian gentleman number one steps in Bam! Straight to the face with a sports bag. Random uh, Asian gentleman number two walks in. Bam! Face, sports bag. And he keeps going. And he just knocks people out with sporting equipment that he's brought with him. And then eventually he gets there and he goes, I'm going to go in. You can't stop me. And Forrest Whitaker looks at the sports bag as if to say, no, he's probably got something heavy in there. And just moves, <laughs> moves out the way. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you picked that one. Well, I need to avoid Van Dam. I think I think we've done two in a row. So um, <laughs> we we we're gonna we're gonna skip on forward. We're gonna skip on forward to a film which I think that you haven't seen because I think we we sort of chatted about it, and I've only discovered it recently. Um, when when we started talking about um, doing this, the one guy that I don't really know a lot about, and I think it's probably because. I think he was just bigger in the US, is Chuck Norris. Um, and I must admit, the only movies I'd seen were Delta Force an age ago and a historical movie called Raid on Entebbe. Okay. Um, and the only reason I watched Raid on Entebbe is because a very good friend of mine uh, by the name of Jeffrey Semper, um, who I met in the very early 90s, um, he immigrated with his family from Uganda, where Raid on Entebbe was set. Um, and his father was one of the last guards stationed at the airport where Radon Entebbe took place. And he was the only survivor of the guards of the airport that actually got taken out in the mission that Chuck Norris in the movie leads. And he lost his leg. His father lost his leg. Um, and they had to flee for their lives from Uganda, and they ended here in the UK. Long story short, I was kind of part of a youth group at that point, and I got to know him and his family really well. And that was my first experience of Chuck Norris, Raid on Entebbe. And I was like, you totally lost my friend's dad his leg. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like Chuck Norris for that. Um, but then when I knew we were going to do this, I just thought, I'd, I'd better watch, watch at least one Chuck Norris movie just to see what happens. And so I type in, in Amazon and I get, you know, some very cheap stuff. I, Chuck, no offense, you can get your stuff for cheap. And uh, Invasion USA turned up first. And have you seen this movie? I haven't, man, I haven't seen that movie in, in 20 years, man. Okay. I've only seen this film once, and uh, I think it's worth it's worth it's worth note for for the sheer fact that you would not you could not make this movie today as violent as it is. No flashy special effects, no huge storyline. The country of America is being invaded all at once, and Chuck Norris can stop it. First of all, as a concept, what? <laughs> how does that happen um second of all he walks around with this kind of bra for most of the film with two uzis tucked into it okay. as if it's just normal fashion he just he walks from leisure from kind of um, shopping center to shopping center on the off chance that the invaders of america are going to do something bad and luckily he's got his bra with his uzis in and uh, and and hilarity ensues there's some violent stuff in this there's a scene in this film where two of the basically the idea being that um, there, there's some bad guys in another country, and because it's the 80s, I'm assuming it's Russia. That yep, there you go. They've basically um, by boat 
kind of like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, all just landed on the coast of Miami, got into trucks and and just fucked off into the middle of the country and hid. And then every now and again, a couple of times a week, they'll pop up in, in you know, a vastly populated area in America and do something very bad and blow up a shopping center. And by doing this, they're causing civil unrest and, and they hope to bring down America. And, and Chuck doesn't like this because it's not nice. The first terrorist attack in this film, imagine the, imagine the street that um, McCauley Culkin lives in, in Home Alone. They're sticking up the Christmas decorations, and and there's uh, it's just a nice street, and you it's it's at, it's at night, and everyone you can there's sort of people wrapping up, going to um, turn off the lights, going to bed, and then this jeep turns up with two guys in the back, and they cold as ice just pop up two pocket rocket launchers and fire missiles into each and every house in the street that you've just seen load up with kids and family and women and children and and good american goodness and then go ha ha and then drive off <laughs> no, <they didn't. laughs> it's in there's even a couple making out in a car out front of this house and and you see the bloke go oh there's a likely target <laughs> gone you know it's like the rule the rules of scream apply in this film if you're you know if you're yeah if you're want to kiss a girl you're probably going to get shot it's just crazy it's a crazy crazy it's video game crazy but i kind of like it there's a scene where um the the main villain is doing a, um, a deal to buy the weapons so he turns up at this guy's office in basically in a brothel you know those you know those scenes if they want to if they want to put across that it's a brothel they always have a, a suited businessman walk up a flight of stairs and there are usually people kissing on the stairs oh, there, yes. there you go there you go it's like oh it's clearly a brothel either that or my mate Giles's house you know it's it's <laughs> it's um there's your um visual frame of reference there he goes upstairs and then um, the guy he buys the guns off of has got his lady friend in a scantily clad red dress, probably with a gelled caterpillar on her head, much like Bloodsport. Um, and then the guy promptly starts to do lines of coke. The big bad grabs his head and Heath Ledger, Dark Knight style, crushes it down onto the table, pushing the cocaine straw up through his nose. Uh, ow! Just... It, it's it's so violent and so bad, and Chuck Norris grimaces and frowns and has he he co-wrote this apparently yeah he wrote the screenplay for it and um, there's quite a few scenes where he'll just drive, stop the car by the side of the road, get out of the car, and then look at the sun, and squint, cue music, drop music fade, get back in the car and then just drive off again. There's it, there's some real Chuck Norris grimacing in this film. I mean, we're looking Joey Tribbiani smell the fart acting mm-hmm. um, at its peak. It's for for my first dose of Chuck Norris in quite some time. That was extreme. I have to, yeah, to say. that that is pretty so you, extreme. That was that's that was kind of eighties goodness as it, at its at its peak. That that was enough for me. I have to say, I, I've still got the I've still got missing in action to watch, and I've still got a few other bits and pieces to watch. But I was kind of I think I've I've had my fill of Chuck from Invasion USA. So I promptly moved on. But check it out. There's some insane stuff in that. Just the idea that baddies are and the the baddies as, as well. You, you know, we've cited the main guy as Russian when they do eventually kind of storm uh, the, the, the military at the end. 
every representation, be it racial, cultural, or otherwise, as a bad guy is represented. You've got like this full-suited Russian guy running. I swear to God, someone was wearing full Nazi uniform. Um, there's like a KKK guy over there. There's Osama bin Laden running through the middle. It's it's just this huge mishmash of socially perceived baddies <laughs> running towards Chuck and his friends and Chuck like, hey, look over there. They're clearly bad guys. Kill them. It was absolutely insane. No, But I kind of I liked it. When's the last time you watched Delta Force? Many, many years ago. And oh. when you, you reminded me with the, the structure of the movie, that, that, kind, of, that kind of sparked the, the remembering of that movie, but many years ago. Not, not well enough to remember okay. much about it. I'm, I'm going to talk about this one real quick because this case came mm. out the year after Invasion USA. It, Delta Force, Chuck Norris film, it's two movies in one. And this is what gets me about Delta Force because I watched it probably about two months ago. It's, it's weird because the first half of the movie, um, there's a 707 aircraft jetliner on its way from Ath- Athens to Rome and then New York City. It gets hijacked by Lebanese terrorists, okay? The terrorists demand that the pilot take him out to Beirut. And that part of the film is real serious. It's, you know, very dramatic, very serious. And then the second half of the film, you have the terrorists. What they don't realize is, is that elite team called the Delta Force, a bunch of commandos led by Major McCoy, Chuck Norris, and good old Colonel Alexander, Lee Marvin, who at this time was about 275 years old. <laughs> they get called in to, uh, to take out these terrorists on the jetliner and you know, try to find out who's involved with hijacking the plane and um, you know, try to kill all the terrorists before they take out all the hostages. This is a movie of two halves. First half, very serious. The second half, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) Because don't get me wrong, I love a good action movie, but this is over-the-top cartoon action, okay? And the funniest part of the film is, it literally, like I said before, goes from serious to silly. Chuck Norris, when he's trying to find the main bad guy, gets this super motorcycle that has machine guns on the front, rocket launchers in the back, and like turbo boost. And he he finds where, where where like the main baddie is hiding out at this house, and he beats up this dude so bad, I start laughing. I mean, I laugh uncontrollably. I'm like, I shouldn't be laughing at all this violence. This, this ain't right. And I'm like laughing uncontrollably. Then he gets out. He finishes beating up this guy, walks out the house, <laughs> hops on the motorcycle. And I guess like the bad guy's about to come out or whatever. And like he flips a switch on the back of his motorcycle and a rocket shoots out and blows up the whole area. It is ridiculous, okay? And not only that, but Lee Marvin can barely move in this film. And so anytime he's got a gun or if he's about to do something, I'm like, yo, man, why don't y'all just let Lee sit down? Just let him sit in one of the buggies and let him relax. Give him a chair. Yes. Yeah, give him a chair. Give him, a give chair. him something to lean on, at least, like a stick or yeah, something. I mean, at least they gave, they gave Robert Vaughn a chair and like a military uniform, and he just pick up the phone and say, it's time. Or you can't go yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? They gave him something easy. They gave Lee Marvin work. <laughs> but I wow. laughed so hard while watching this movie because literally it's over the top. There's a ton of bad acting in it from the second half. The first half is a completely different film, so it's very strange. It's but, borderline political, if I remember rightly. The, the beginning. It's kind of like uh, what was the Seagal Kurt Russell movie with the stealth fighter? Executive decision. Yes. The, the first half of that movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, yeah, another film, another film, and I it's not 80s, but it's another film that, yes, first half serious, second half silly. So, but then again, anytime you get Oliver Platt mixed up in an action film, <laughs> you, you got a problem. Yeah. Yeah, but we won't go there. 
Um, But so go go watch Delta Force sometime and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. And there are so many moments like where they're really trying to build up the tension. They're trying so hard to build up the tension. Literally nothing is happening. And you're just like, yo, somebody going to do something. I mean, somebody fart, do anything because they're really trying to build up tension. But the director doesn't know how to build up tension. In other words, you just have static shots of people just sitting there like we're going in. No, no, wait, wait one second. We didn't get the call yet. What are we doing? It's just, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. And then Lee Marvin turns to Chuck and goes, "I really have to pee. Well, we're, we get, we got to get on the plane now and get the bag." I know, but you know, if we're on that flight for any longer, I know I get to sit down, but I need to take a piss. I'll oh, go on then. There you go. It's bizarre. It's just really bizarre. But um, but no, I, I just wanted to throw that out real quick. Oh, um, I'm, I'm for sure now. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cram that in. I, I don't know. Do I see Inception this week or do I stay at home and watch Delta Force? I'm probably gonna watch Delta Force. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's just for Joey. I'm going to take it to Clint Eastwood, and I'm going to take it to a movie that you may not you may not remember, but as a kid I loved. To me, it's it's an action film because of what was used. And nowadays, people think of it as a web browser. Firefox. I can fly this plane with my brain. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love you know I love that movie simply for as a kid I loved it for the jet alone. I didn't give a damn about anything else about that film. I just wanted him to get in that jet and fire those missiles and speak in Russian. Yep. That's all I wanted. And it came from a very serious book, apparently. Yes. Um, my, my dad actually let me watch that movie when most movies were kind of off limits for whatever reason, when he was very... I've said this many times. I had to carry his parents as, as a kid. I, it was, um, stay in there, read this book, don't look at girls' dirty pillows, and we'll be fine. And yeah, it was it, it, most 80s... Most action movies or, or any movies were kind of off limits. But for whatever reason, if, if my dad had read the book... I could, and he liked it because he was a literary dude. I could watch the movie, and Firefox was one of those. Uh, Where Eagles Dare was one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint Eastwood again, but yeah, Firefox was awesome, man. It was, um, it was good. When did you, when did you first watch it? So, the the jet thing was more of that would be a cool toy, or it was just all about the jet, or you. Oh, for the, me, for me, it was all about the jet. I didn't give a damn about anything else. I'm like, I didn't even care that Soviets developed this uh, revenu- revolutionary uh, super jet fighter called Firefox, and the British got worried that the jet would be used on them as a first strike weapon. So they get this ex-Vietnam guy. Um, you know, uh, Mitchell Gant, if I remember right, to go get it. I, I didn't really think about any of that at the time. I mean, I was seven years old, and my parents took me to go see this. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy because, like, as a kid, like I said, I had cool parents, man. I mean, I'm not saying cool as in, you know, hey, we broke all the rules, but my parents were like, look, we know you're not stupid. We know that you're not going to try any of this stuff at school or do anything yeah. to hurt anybody. You have common sense. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go take you to see Firefox. So they worked. They they worked with you, as opposed to, as opposed to, hey, aren't I aren't I irresponsible? Or you know, by the same measure, kept you away from it. They worked with you. They they introduced mm-hmm. you to cool stuff, but they, they there was a trust there, kind of thing. Right, and you know, I think now I think this film will probably will more than likely play even better for me now than it did than it did when I was a kid. Because there's some parts where you know, watching it as a child, I got bored. I, but I think that would intrigue me even more. But I just remember as a child, um, while he was flying the plane, and he had to take that break because he was low on fuel, and he had to like land on a sheet of ice, and the submarine came up from uh, from underground and broke through the ice. 
Mm. That was like the coolest thing in the world for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that they could do that in real life. Oh, that's so cool. And I was getting all excited. My dad's like, calm down. It's all right. Calm down. I was like, dad, I've never seen that before. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. But when, it, when, like, when he's trying to fire the missiles, and, I sw- and, and, I, and the more and more I think about that now, when I look at the uh, Night Raven from the G.I. Joe live action movie, that's yep. literally the Firefox. It is. My son has that toy. And not only that, but the whole scene where uh, Ripcord, Ripcord is trying to like fire the missiles, but um, he couldn't speak. He couldn't, you know. But he didn't know what the code was. And yep. um, and Scarlet told him to speak in this X X language or whatever. That's literally taken from Firefox. Now that I yeah. think about it, so, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was in the movie theater watching it with my son, and I had no one to tell that to. <laughs> so. <laughs> to me. Firefox is a good like espionage, you know, action thriller. You uh, you should be able to get it on the cheap, so get it while you can. It's, it's I, I got to say, most of the stuff that we'll probably touch on tonight, you can. I mean, you you go on Amazon. I mean, for in the UK, I picked up Invasion USA for under two pounds. You know, it's it's um, most of this stuff is just kind of not considered bargain bin fodder, but it's kind of a niche thing, isn't it? There's yeah. not a lot, not a lot, not an awful lot of people who would check it out. I've got to say, thinking about like you watching that movie at that time, that would be the equivalent of me at the age of like seven watching Hunt for Red October. You know, it would be. There's a lot of political stuff. There's a lot of tension building and stuff. Not an awful lot of action. When it happens, it's quite, it's cool. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Firefox was a good one. You know what? We'll do it now because I will never do it on Matinee Idols. Are you ready to talk some Predator? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, it's on my list, so I can take it off. I can scratch it off. Cool. Here right. we go. All right. Do you know what? The way this is working out, we could probably do one, two, and one hit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Predator was was one of the uh, the long list of of these kinds of movies that I recorded from TV, and over here it would have been uh, on ITV, which or Channel Three when we only had four channels. They were notorious for editing movies down. So forever in a day, I didn't get to see Billy's arm. Sorry, um, Carl Withers' arm come off, and um, I think Jesse Ventura's gut shot was kind of a little bit toned down. And there's a couple of things that were kind of toned down. Language was toned down in um, another couple of movies that we'll probably talk about. But Predator for me was, I think it's one of those films, I mean, it came out in 87. It did set the standard for kind of men on a mission movies for quite a few years after that and leading into the 90s. It was um, The Dirty Dozen, The Wild Bunch, Where Eagles Dare, I guess, um, in a way. Uh, And now you've got Inglorious Bastards as well. You've, You've just got this mishmash of really interesting, charismatic characters uh, who all have kind of special skills. Um, Ventura has that enormous rail gun that just decimates a jungle. And then you've got Billy, who's clearly like the tracker. Mm-hmm. You've got Arnold, who's just the all-round leader. And it, it, it oozes testosterone. It's insane. The, the uh, I would urge you to pick up... Um, I, I've got to say, I haven't checked out the Blu-ray on this. I've only recently got a Blu-ray player, and I've been sort of looking at a lot of these movies thinking which ones warrant me getting them on on uh, on blu-ray but the most recent dvd incarnation of predator with the two disc the making of documentary on that is insanely good it's oh, really? exactly it's insanely good it's exactly what i want from a documentary it, it it interviews all of the main players um and they are very 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 upfront about life on the set about it what really was just 
100% testosterone. You know, people were kind of working out offset and then walking on tensed because Carl Withers' biceps needed to be just that size. Um, it's full of amazing one-liners. And the thing is, while I'm talking about this, I'm not even talking. To, I'm not even thinking of the alien at this point. I'm just thinking about those guys. Um, again, a film of two halves. You don't see the alien for a good proportion of this film. The second that you do see it, the, the pace changes, the mood changes. But the first section of the film is kind of like... I suppose the Delta Force, you know, they have a mission, they're going in, you know, there's a camp of bad guys. Excellent sequence. Unbelievable sequence. But that's John McTierman to a T. Oh, yeah. He knows how to shoot action. And this, in rewatching this recently, I went to see Predators, plural, um, recently. And so I, I wanted to watch this again, even though I've watched it countless times. But for me, this is the ultimate... Now we are in an era of CG and computer-generated effects, and um, you, you'll look at something and go, oh, that looked really good, but you never think, how did they do that? Right. Because now you think they used a computer, and yes, it took a long time, and yes, it took a certain amount of skill, but to physically do the majority of the stunts that took place, especially in this film, it was a grueling process. Yeah. The shoot on this film was insane. The terrain that they shot this film in was almost it was almost vertical for most of the movie. Yeah. There was never a place for most of these cast and crew members to sit down. The, the, the shoot was just in terrible conditions. Yeah. The stunts in the kind of raiding the encampment sequence with the with the I ain't got time to bleed and all that stuff kind of kicking off oh it, it's just awesome one liners amazing stunts there's gore there's some gore in this movie um they went overboard with the sequel but the, the it's a perfect combination for me. It was a movie that I would go to school the next day and you wouldn't be just limited to one-liners. It would be... And you remember the, you know, this kill shot or this kill scene or this scene? Because that's what you do with these movies. Oh, yeah. you, you don't go to school and go, I just remember that really poignant scene where they looked at each other across the room. No, who, who does that? Do you want to talk about the guy walking across the road drenched in acid looking like a zombie getting run over? And that's cool. Yeah. Because that's what piqued our interest. But it's a good film. It's not a cheesy movie. It's actually a very well made movie the score is incredible it pumps throughout this film and it almost kind of it's almost the heartbeat of the movie i i love it you can tell i love it um but yeah go ahead talk some predator i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna put my trousers back on <laughs> get to, get to the chopper or as arnold mm -hmm. said get to the chopper but um <laughs> no get to the chopper yeah an austrian friend of mine does that very well awesome. i'll have to get him to send you a little sound bite that's um, the thing about this film, and, and this is also very reflective on even though 20th Century Fox waited, I don't know, 15, 15 years too late for Robert Rodriguez to do Predators, even though I think it's a very well put together film and it's good, um, 20th, mm. 20th Century Fox had made so many mistakes afterwards with the Alien vs. Predator series to really give Predators, you know, it's just due to make it as to make it a successful franchise. I mean, it didn't cost a lot to make. And it's literally set on the same grounds and template as the original Predator. And what I mean is this. When Predator came out, Predator cost $15 million to make in, 1980, in, in like 1986 when they made it. It was released in 87. So $15 million is cheap. That's the equivalent of Star Wars uh, A New Hope when, when that was made back in like 70-something. Uh, so mm. this was made very inexpensively. So Robert Rodriguez did the same thing with Predators. And even to this day, this blows my mind. I mean, it was 1987. Schwarzenegger was, was huge, okay? He was, he was pretty much a superstar. Not megastar, but he was a superstar. And the fact that you had a Schwarzenegger movie that only cost $15 million to this day, 
blows me away, especially with those special effects that were used back then. And for all that carnage, destruction, and everything, it, it amazes me that they made this for just $15 million. So it's, I mean, and it took me a long time. I mean, as a kid, when this came out, I was, I was 11. And so, like, the whole alien thing, you know, like, kind of, like, freaked me out a bit. And then, like, you know, a year and a half later, I was like, oh, I'm all down for this. And I'd watch it. And, you know, still mad at the way, you know, Carl Weathers and Bill Duke went out. But, um, but you know, but everybody bit it, pretty much. You know, almost everybody bit it. But the scenes where Arnold is, like, caked in mud and, and stuff. And, and he's just screaming, like, come on. Come on, you know, stuff. Kill me. Yeah. Kill me. And how did you, did you, I mean, you, did you go and see Predators at the theater? No, no, no. That you was, haven't seen it? I, 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 oh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen Predators yet. Um, oh, okay. I've, I've, I've had plenty of friends to go see it, and they told me that they enjoyed it. And it's one of those things where they wished that you had Predator. Some of them still wish for the second Predator movie and then Predators. Yeah, they you know they they would rather have that, but I understand what Robert Rodriguez was doing. He's trying to pull it back to the way it once was, filmed inexpensively, and we because like in Predator, there was one Predator, okay, that was it, one Predator taking out all these all these military commandos and whatnot, you know, and you get to learn a little bit more about the culture in the second Predator movie, but the Predators movie takes it takes it back to its essence and really you know tries its best to focus on a story. As opposed to Alien versus Predator, where they just throwing, where like you know, movie execs are throwing stuff at you and saying, "Well, focus groups want this, focus groups want that." Predator to this day is, yeah, it's still one of the best action movies, sci-fi. You know, action movie because it classifies as action movie, it classifies as a sci-fi movie. It crosses over so many genres, and it's just what it's well put together. It's one of my faves. You're, you're absolutely right. That's one of those ones where kind of, not the geeks, but the the frequenters of the comic conventions versus what a lot of people consider to be the typical fans of action movies, i.e. The Working Man. This was a movie that everyone could enjoy. Um, and and I, I've got to say, I'm not a fan of those stereotypes. I, I've wor- I worked in a video store for eight years, um, and the amount of people that request movies that you would never expect them to request, mm-hmm. in, you know, there, there shouldn't be those stereotypes. But Predator is a film that, that, that yeah, it sort of transcends those kind of genre boundaries and lots of people like it um it's one of those films where again again stereotypically apparently women don't like action movies that is completely incorrect um very uh, true that is so incorrect yes completely incorrect and predator is a um a classic example the the amount of conversations i've had with people where they go oh my wife loves that movie or my girlfriend loves that movie or it's just it's 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 great it's great um you know we can't I, i suppose the the little not the little gem from it, but the little uh, niggly bit for me on 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 Predator that that always seems to come out in conversation is Shane Black's role in 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 this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Shane Black, of course, who wrote *Lethal Weapon* and *Last Boy Scout* and *Long Kiss Goodnight*, um, is in the film, and he's the guy that does all the pussy jokes. Which again, when when you're at school, you'd come in and you go, "Oh, geez, you got a big pussy, Jesus, she said it twice." You, you're going to come in and do those lines and and and. He, he was such a good character, but get that DVD, Sean. Seriously, okay. he's 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 interviewed on it. Um, he was brought in originally to do a draft for the script, mm. um, and he was brought on originally as a as a screenwriter. Um, and they said, Would you, "Look, can we can we put you in the movie? We need somebody else. Can you can you do this? And can you do some rewrite?" I mean, it was rewritten um, time uh, over and over again. 
and he his script a lot of the banter between the crew is is Shane Black's and and I think that buddy buddy cop feel in the jungle kind of shows through um in a lot of the dialogue certainly yeah there you go paint paint me predator <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to touch on Predator 2 at all? Or? Oh, no. Well, see, Predator 2 was released here in the States in 1990. So okay. it, it, it was it was like kind of like out, it was like on the cusp. It was on the cusp of being discussed. But um, Let's do that on the 90s episode. Okay, we can do that on the 90s episode <laughs> then. Before I go to my next pick, I'm just going to throw out an honorable mention. I would like to put Tango and Cash as an honorable mention. Okay. Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone as two, you know, super super cops <laughs> that get busted <laughs> by a supervillain and get sent to a uh, sent to jail for a crime they haven't committed. I love this movie. I don't care what anybody says. It's <laughs> it's over the top, it's silly and they had that kick-ass truck. Yeah. Tango, t- and plus it has Terry Hatcher it also has, um, let's see, Jack Palance. It's get, oh, dude. I love this movie. As a kid, I loved it, and and I, and I know it's bad. It's one of those films. Look, I know it's bad, and I'm willing to, <laughs> and I'm willing to admit it. But I love it. It barely made the uh, '80s action film list, and I mean, granted, it's honorable mention because it came out like in late December of '89. So um, I just wanted to throw Tango and Cash out there. But now, I'm going to get to back to the the main meat of the list. I'm going to go to Rocky Three. I'm taking oh. back, I'm taking back to 1982. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Three, where where Rocky fights uh, Clubber Lang. Now, I once again just for just for reference purposes, uh, I watched I watched this with the missus a couple weeks ago, and you know because she loves these action movies as much as I do. Not only that, it also gives me a better appreciation of the Bill Conti score throughout the entire between all like the first four Rocky films. Uh, Bill Conti. Mm. Um, and like, there's a couple of uh, montage music scenes by uh, you know music uh, or, uh, music pieces by Vendicola, which are pretty good. But also, you know, Rocky Three has you know classic Survivor, Heart, um, uh, Eye of the Tiger. The thing that gets me about this movie is because you know it's written and directed by uh, by Stallone. You know, cause, mm-hmm. you know Sly did you know Sly put in work for this one. I think he also did Rocky Two and I think Four. He had written and directed those as well. But you get this feeling of you know Rocky's finally on top. And he's doing like all these things. He's like doing these endorsements. He's doing all this stuff for charity. And he's like fighting like all the all these boxers defending the title and just knocking people the f out. And you just see Mr. T, you know, Mr. T in the stands, you know, watching. And he's just angry. And, and Mr. T's got you know the Mohawk like in full effect. He's got like the gear on, and he's got like this earring with like this big feather in it. And he's just like me, and he's just like training. He's on the streets training, and he's like these sweat houses, just like working his ass off. And like you know, Rocky's not really Rocky. You know, he's not hungry and and at, and at the same time Mick is protecting him because we all know Rocky's taking you know one too many hits to the head anyway so you yeah. know Mick is really trying to protect him but you really see this like contrast between how bad Clubber wants it, even though Clubber is crazy and the hunger that Rocky once had that's kind of gone but he doesn't know because you know he's living the good life now but the funny thing about the film is if you watch it look at Clubber Lang and look at his fight style. Now, the only thing he throws, only punch, Clubber Lang throws are haymakers. That's all he does. That's all he does is throw a haymaker. No jabs on the inside. No, not, just all haymakers. That's it. 
But if you look at his fighting prowess, you look at his power, you look at and you see that anger, he, you know, he never goes past three rounds with any boxer. Clubber Lang in 1982 was Mike Tyson. Yeah. I, he, he, he sold it. He definitely sold it. I mean, even, even before he steps in the ring, you completely believe that he, would, he could do it. Oh, yeah. um, he was just so mad. He was just so mad sitting there. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, maybe it was, there was a tickling sensation on his left shoulder from the earring, or he was just irritated. I, I, I don't know. But he was, um, he was, he was just mad. He kind of, it was like, um, Chris, oh, do you know what? I was just about to go into a movie that will probably come up on this list. So I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I, I'm going to, you, you carry on my friend. Is Hulk Hogan in number three? Yes. Hulk Hogan is, is in number yes. three as Thunderlips, And he does. And cause like he's doing that wrestler versus a uh, boxer thing for charity mm. and which is just ridiculous. But what I like about yeah, the- yeah. Watch, uh, watch WrestleMania 24. Yeah. That, that happens again. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Big Show versus uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yes, <laughs> complete, complete farce, okay. complete farce. So, b- believe me, it's still silly. <laughs> okay, I just remember also about this film what I really liked, and as a kid, I didn't understand it, but I understand it now. Burgess Meredith as Mick. Mick was really selling it in this movie, and you know he just wanted to protect Rocky, and also at the same time he's trying to make him understand. He's like, look, you, you, you're successful, I understand it, but kid, you're nowhere near as hungry as you once were. I'm trying to protect you. you know, he doesn't want him to fight Clubber, and like in that when he, when Rocky gets that statue, and Rocky's like, I don't think I should box anymore. Maybe it's time I retire. And then when when Clubber Lang comes out of nowhere, it just starts fussing and like getting all mad. Dude, that's like one of the best scenes in the whole movie. I think maybe it's time that. I should uh, step down, maybe, and retire. You know why you can? Don't get a sucker no statue. Give him guts. I told you I wasn't going away. You got your shot. Now give me mine. Why should you get the hell out of there? Shut up, old man. I ain't going nowhere. And why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? Politics, man. This country wants to keep me down. Keep everybody weak. They don't want a man like me to have the title because I'm not a puppet like that fool up there. You know, you've got a big mouth, you know? Why don't you come out and close it? Come on! Come on! Come on! guy's crazy. Don't listen to him. The little man don't want to come to me. Then I'll come to you people and lay out the truth. I am ranked number one. One! That means I'm the best. But this bomb is taking the easy matches. Fight another bomb. I'm telling you and everybody here, I'll fight him anywhere, anytime, for nothing. But you people ain't never gonna see that happen because he's gonna retire. You see, he don't fight no real man. He fight them setups. What? You're as disgraced to this sport. Shut up, old man. You and that chump don't know where I had to come from. Oh, your family doing real nice, ain't it? You call yourself a fighter? Prove it now. Give me that same chance. The way he's been ducking is the disgrace. If he ain't no coward, why don't he fight me then? You don't get no shot, and I mean that. And you know, everybody's going off and going crazy, and Clubber's like, I got him now. And Mick's like, look, you can't beat this kid. He's like, if you're going to beat him, you got to train. And Rocky's like training, but it's more of a spectacle because everything's so commercialized, and you, yeah. cut, and you cut to Clubber. Clubber's just working out by himself, you know, isolated, dingy gyms. As we all know, Mick dies, and like that throws Rocky completely off his game against Clubber, and then Apollo comes in, trains him, and gives him, teaches him the eye of the tiger to get that hunger back. I really, truly enjoy this movie, and the score during the fights, the musical score during the fights is classic, and I think it's what sells the movie as yeah. a whole, so. Uh, yeah, if, if you get if you get time to watch Rocky Three, uh, go watch it. It's it's a good film. It's a good film. It, um, I remember. 
distinctly watching the Rockies completely out of order. I watched. I didn't watch them in order. I I, I can remember. Um, I got them from my, my local library. My mum used to work at um, used to work at our local library, and they had a, a big video section. And so I would get the movies for free. Mm-hmm. So on my school holidays, I would go in and and rent the movies, and it was always kind of the PG stuff. So that was Rocky, you know, it was blatantly Rocky and the Goonies and and all that stuff. And I think I they were they were packaged as kind of double sets. So I think three and four came on the same tape, okay. um, and I watched three and four prior to watching one and two. So all the fun of two and of three and four you know you've got these really again colorful characters these eccentric characters and then i watched one and two didn't see it for what it was it was just kind of he fights the same guy and it's kind of downbeat and where's where's i, I need a russian guy or i need a exotic location what's oh. going on <laughs> it was just wasn't it wasn't what you know only later of course i came to really you know like appreciate the first couple of movies but um right yeah it's it's, they're great oh yeah it's just one of those things where you know i mean in the 80s i mean you have like with rocky one and rocky two those are pretty much just dramas you know dramas with Mm. with it's it's a boxing drama whereas rocky three and rocky four are action films pretty pretty much i mean because like everything is so much more sensationalized in three and in four um, as opposed to one and two, one and two are very serious. I'm not. I'm not saying three and four aren't serious. It's just that there's more sensationalism behind it, as opposed to the first two. But, it's almost the pattern of the kung fu movie coming in as well, and like the video game pattern where you've got a boss and you've got a, uh, you know, a goal to get to, and there are certain beats you have to hit and certain characters you have to have, and there was that formula that was just put in place, and it even affected yeah the the Rocky movies. Something as simple as a boxing flick suddenly became Predator or, right. you know, an, well, an action movie. So. Well, that, that, that's what happens when you have Rocky 1 and Rocky 2 that make a ton of money back then. How do you top what you've done before? Mm. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And this is, and this is before the, day, the day, of, day and age of super studio involvement. I mean, granted, MGM was still, was still involved. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they were still involved, but nowhere near to the extent of, of how a studio would be involved nowadays. You, you know, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's 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 an entirely different story. The, you know, Mr. T is Clubber Lang. I mean, he's just angry. I mean, he's just he's just ready to fight. He's ready to fight. I mean, I, even the scene where, you know, because Apollo's now one of, in Rocky's corner, and it's before the fight, but the second fight between um, between Rocky and Clubber, and Clubber's like, boy, he can't, he's either calling him boy or calling him like boy, boy. You hear me talking to you? And like walks over, like pushes Apollo Creed before the fight, and like both corners come out, start scrapping. Man. I lose it. I'm like, man. I'm like, Mr. T is crazy. You know, I'm like, no, it's Clubber Lang. I'm like, it's just, cra- it's just crazy. So, oh, I love it. it it's, it's great. Stuff. Anyway, so Commando. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Uh, I've been waiting for you to bring this one up. Here we go. Um, so Commando is officially the first R-rated movie I ever saw. And in the UK, that would be an, an 18 film. Um, I went over to my good friend. Uh, his name was Mario Lopez, a uh, Portuguese kid. And uh, I was in middle school at the time. And I would have been 11, okay. probably, uh, when I first, first saw this film. Um, his grandmother. So you've got non-English speaking elderly lady in a rocking chair in the corner. 
and me and Mario um, sat cross-legged on the floor watching the the violence that ensued, uh, and I, I lapped it up, absolutely lapped it up. Um, so you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger as Matrix, the film's uh, main protagonist, former U.S. Army colonel, and is forced back into action when his daughter, who wears a hideous tracksuit, is disca- is terribly um, abducted. You just get, again, colourful characters, one-liners. This was... I wouldn't say it was the beginning. I, I always kind of think, I, for whatever reason, I always think of Predator as coming before this, but Predator came two years later, and Predator always seems to be used as kind of the framework for the modern action film. There's another movie with Sylvester Stallone that I'm sure will come up at some point, which is kind of used as or seen as the cornerstone of modern action movies and that kind of formula. But Commando, probably the best tool up getting ready for action scene in history the best face paint in all of these action movies when you get to the end the camera just lingers long probably just underneath the eye as he applies a little bit of black makeup and then the, it kind of lingers on the leg just as he inserts an enormous knife into some kind of pocket or pouch <laughs> camera just kind of lingers across a belt being filled with grenades or a gun being filled with bullets uh, whilst military almost Terminator style soundtrack kind of music pumps and then cut to actor with a huge backpack, a rocket launcher, five AKs, an Uzi and some, and a, and a headband. Um, he's finally dressed and ready for action. Um, Arnold does that probably about half an hour from the end. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's extreme action. It's, um, it's violence personified. It's, uh, it's guys busting into a shed and having, um, you know, like a black and decker trimming edge thrown at your head to decapitate you. It's just awesome, um, and a and a fantastic um, villain as well. Or, I always like the villain's main assassin in all of these movies. In most of these films, and again, I always bring it back to computer games, and I never really know what came first. Um, But you have the bad guy, who's usually a suited weakling who has lots of money, but he employs a ninja or a mercenary who's very eccentric. And this film is no exception. Um, It would be a previous associate of Matrix in the form of Bennett, who comes from Australia or South Africa. I, I can't. I've never quite placed the I, I accent. But. I, I can't remember. The only thing I remember about Bennett when um when my mom took me to go see Commando, so I was like ten. So when I went oh, to geez. so so I love your mum. I still you know and 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 in no other way than I want her to take me to action movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I go see it. I go see it with her. I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, and then because you know we're to, in regards to talking about Bennett, uh, you know the big bad, and I said, Mom, I was like. Why is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Why why is Arnold fighting the lead singer from Queen? <laughs> and, and and my mom's like, boy, shut up. That's not that's not Freddie Mercury. I'm like, mom, that is Freddie. Boy, that's not Freddie Mercury. Stop it. Hush. Watch the movie. And I was like, oh yes, mom. And I just kept but watching. But the he's movie. wearing a chain link vest. It's Freddie Mercury. Yeah. See that 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 was it. That was it. <laughs> but um, what was also crazy about the movie? At the beginning of the movie, like John Matrix is like cutting, chopping wood and stuff, doing like all these manly things. And then, like, you know, somebody's sneaking up on him. And then come to find out it's his daughter, you know, played by Alyssa Milano. And he picks her up, and the music changes. And then, you know, they're sitting down, you know, eating ice cream together. And, like, the, the word commando blares on the screen. And, like, yeah. there's this happy music playing. I'm like, these things don't fit. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's like it might as well have put ba- badass ninja across the scene where he throws his daughter in a swimming pool and goes ha 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 ha. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. And in the in the scene where he's going to uh, you know get Arius, who is like you know because Ben is the Ben is a bad, but Arius is technically the big bad because Arius is the one that hires Bennett and all of his flunkies, if I remember right. But um. But he, you know, he's going to Arius' estate, and like you said, he's got like all the weapons, got the commando pack, he's got like his vest, the paint, the knives, the guns, and he's ready to roll. He's about to stomp on Arius' uh, campground to get his daughter back. And he's and he's like taking on like hundreds of soldiers, right? Explosions are coming from everywhere, and like soldiers are just diving out of the, you know, out of nowhere after all these explosions. Arnold does not get hit by one bullet. Yep. <laughs> but yet this man is shooting out hundreds of rounds at a time, taking people out. But to this day, what cracks me up is there's a scene where literally he gets down on one knee, wide open space, anybody could hit him, and he's just got his like machine gun just like firing on people and taking everybody out, but yet nobody can hit this man in broad daylight. Yeah, he bends down on one knee, it's wide open ground. He's not even hiding behind a like a hedge. Um, and then I think just after that, he finds refuge in a small shed mm. made of wood, which, as a baddie, I'd probably just lob a grenade in. <laughs> um, but instead, instead they go, oh, let's knock on the door and see if Arnold's home. And, they, and <laughs> they just open the door, and, of course, he throws a circular saw um, at somebody's face. Yes. But it's it's the one-liners in that movie that kill me. Um, <laughs> it's the it's it's where I lied comes from. Mm-hmm. Promise to kill you last and all that. It's where and I mean Bill Duke the the knife fight in the hotel room is is yes. fantastic, so good. Or, um, or better yet, where where like um, Schwarzenegger has to get on that plane and like that one, you know, one of those flunkies is you know with him on the plane and then like you know Arnold ends up breaking his neck. And then he puts his, like you know he puts his hat over over his head. He's like yeah. you know just leave he him says, alone. He's dead tired <laughs> or something like that. He's yeah he's he's dead beat. Yeah, and then he, and the woman just goes oh okay then I just leave you alone. And it, yeah it's all fine. It, it it it's um it's insanity. But I can remember even at that age even loving all of the violence, the critique. The, in me was still going. This is totally unrealistic. But I love it. Oh yeah. Oh. It was um. Yeah, it was great. But it, it still, when anyone says commando to me, I still have in my mind um, Schwarzenegger throwing an enormous drain pipe um, at Bennett. But just prior to that, Bennett says, I don't need a knife, John. I'm going to kill you. And it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't need the knife. Yeah, you do. Yes, you, you, do. You, oh, you need the knife. You need a giant drain pipe to fight him with. And you probably need a gun as well. I don't need a knife. You do. Keep the knife. Goodness sake. <laughs> and I'm going to take you to the realm of Tom Selleck. And, you know, a lot of us don't really think, and we think of 80s action film. Tom Selleck isn't a name we really think about. I'm going to take you to a film, sci-fi action, and the only reason why I liked it is because it had these cool robotic spiders. It's called Runaway. Okay, I'm being educated. You, you take it. Go for it. Okay, basically, the whole point of this film is, is that this takes place in the future. 
and it's the future because you know you have shiny you have shiny guns and cars that kind of look futuristic but they still run on gas and have tires <laughs> and um and things of that nature but it is the future machines are being programmed to turn against us someone must stop the mad the madman who started it all and the madman that started it all is this guy by the name of Dr. Charles Luther who is played by Gene Simmons so you <laughs> so essentially a majority of the film is that you have Near future, um, police off, a police officer specializes in, um, taking out, in uh, taking out these malfunctioning robots. But what happens is, is that when a robot turns out to have been programmed to kill, Tom Selleck as Sergeant Jack Ramsey has to uncover this big plot to create killer robots, and then even his son uh, becomes a target. This film has Tom Selleck, Gene Simmons, Kirstie Alley. For its time, in 1984, this film was major because of the... Uh, because like the robotic spiders that were in the film, they could do all these crazy things. There's not much to this movie at all. There isn't. And I'll be the first to tell you that. But it's, it's like an action crime sci-fi film, which I just dig. And this was during a period of time where Tom Selleck missed out on getting the lead role of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this is probably as close as you could get, either that or Lassiter. Um, which was another film on my list, but I haven't watched it in so long, I can't even tell you what that's about anymore. Um, but no, I really dig Runaway. And seriously, there's not much to it. It's a quick and easy watch, but I think you'll like it, though. If, if for nothing else, the spiders. Yeah. Uh, the spiders sound cool. Yeah, dude. That's, good. that's the thing, though. Around that time, if, you, if, if, if a, a gizmo or a gimmick was thrown into a movie, even if it is Harryhausen stop-motion style... As a kid, you're just going to lap that up. Oh, oh, yeah, no doubt. And not only that, though, but this it's, was... It, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize, but this was... No, 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 this, I was done. This was based off of a Michael Crichton story. Because not only that, Michael Crichton also directed this film, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think this might be the only movie that Michael Crichton directed. But, yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's, that is news to me. I mean, um, I would have... Um, if, if, if I thought he'd directed every one of his things, then, you know, I would have written, written him a letter about Sphere... But, um, oh, we won't talk about that. Sir. No, no, we won't. Yeah, we won't. We won't. But no, that sounds cool. No, I've I've written that down. I've now I now have ink on my list. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, check check out run check out Runaway. I, I think I think you'll like it. It just kind of cracks me up that even though it's in it's in, in it's in the quote unquote future, I'm like, well, it still looks like 1980 something to me, buddy. <laughs> it's not quite Blade Runner then. No, it's not qu- quite Blade Runner. <laughs> but see, but the whole thing that that notes that denotes that it's the future, they have lasers. Ooh, Late. and the guns are oh, go ahead. silver. Yes, and the guns are silver. No, exactly, yeah, there you go. If you want to make it futuristic, in the 80s, all of the guns are, um, are black and, um, and very moody, and usually they're 15 shooters, one, you know. It's, uh, if you want to make it look futuristic, everything's silver, and probably has a red flashing light on it. Mm-hmm. So yes. I would have thought that would denote being futuristic. But that sounds good. I'm going to check that out. All right. On the assumption that due to his recent behavior, um, I will never be able to do an episode about this movie on Matinee Idols, yes. I think it's time we, we take Riggs as a, as a person as opposed to an actor, and, and we do Lethal Weapon. Yes, let's discuss, sir. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mel Gibson aside, it's quite interesting that sort of over the last couple of weeks, on, especially on Twitter, the amount of people that have said, why have you ruined this film for me I can't watch this film in the same way again and quite a lot of people have kind of responded back saying I have to say I can always separate Riggs from Mel whenever I've not liked one of his movies this is the one that I like and I've got to say I do fall into that camp I I would say Lethal Weapon was the first kind of of this type of movie that I saw 
and it and it just so happened to be kind of the catalyst for lots of copycats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lethal Weapon is a huge film for me. It's it falls in line with Terminator Two, Aliens, as big as Back to the Future and Star Wars for me. I've probably seen this film as many times as I've seen Star Wars, which is crazy because I've had a lot more time to watch Star Wars because I was. You know, I would have been younger at that point. Um, But yeah, Lethal Weapon was a huge movie for me to the point where I know I knew an awful, I knew too much about a nine millimeter Beretta at the age of 12. (laughs) I I shouldn't have known all that stuff. Like we were saying, you're always going to have this bad guy who's usually the suited rich guy and he's employed a mercenary. Gary Busey, how could you have a more charismatic, insane guy than Gary Busey? Exactly. When you think crazy, you you think two actors. You think Gary Busey or uh, now uh, Mel Gibson? Oh no 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 now Mel Gibson. Yeah, never count out Gary Busey or Isaiah Washington to play crazy motherfuckers because they excel at it. Go. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Lethal Weapon. Every, I'm assuming that everybody has, has watched this movie at this point. If you haven't watched it, what's wrong with you? It's so hard. It's so hard now with this with this guy's recent. I don't know, kind of plunge into. Do you not want to be famous anymore? You know, but I love this movie. I, I can't, I can't not love this movie. It's the beginning of the the buddy buddy cop genre. It became a genre basically. You have Roger Murtor, um, who's um, family man. You you meet him on his fiftieth birthday, um, and you follow him along on the beginning of a case um, of which you see the beginning of, and it's a girl pitching herself off the top of a building and smashing into a car, and this is the ga- this is the case that he is um, investigating whether it's suicide or not. Um, it coincides with, yes, it's his birthday and he's um, counting the days to retirement um, and he's breaking in a new partner and his partner is the considered suicidal, just lost his wife and is having problems dealing with it, um, insane but lethal weapon that is Riggs, uh, played by Mel Gibson and the two of them meet up and after just receiving a call and going on a couple of cases yeah they 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 attend the the jumper on the roof and then they um they go to investigate this more and pick up a couple of leads from from this jumper um and you see them kind of clashing against each other because they have a very different way of dealing with things you've got the by the book guy and uh, and you've got the you have no idea what he's going to do because he's still having flashbacks from nam character of of mel gibson but what you do get is an incredibly well-directed Richard Donner movie. Uh, a lot of people forget that Richard Donner directed The Omen for some reason. he He's an incredibly good director. Uh, some people don't like uh, Demolition Man. I quite like it. But um, <laughs> he, he has a knack of, at times, being extremely constructed and extremely focused, but he also has a knack of letting his actors run as well, sometimes to their fault. Lethal Weapon 3, for example, is almost all improv. You, yeah, you, you, sometimes you just look at it and think, please, just, just stop now, stop. As, as much as I'm a fan of these movies, you, there's a point at which I can't, <laughs> I, I can't swallow you know, that. But it, um, one thing leads to another, and uh, it, of course it, it leads to a, one of Roger's family, i.e. his um, teenage daughter being kidnapped, um, and then the rescue, the capturing, the escape, the chase and the final fight ensues but at such a pace that you it never dips it absolutely never dips Mm -hmm. and it's always interesting and it's always engaging you know even if it wasn't steeped in nostalgia for me even now watching it if i watched it for the first time now i I would still just lap it up it's um it's a great movie i I forgot that murtaugh's character was like s round and 50 I, i forgot all about that it really shows now because 
Danny Glover over like just the past few years has has gotten old. You you know yeah. what I mean? I mean I'm not I'm not trying to be mean. I I, I really hope that doesn't come across. But yeah. I, when I saw the uh, when I saw the pilot episode for uh, the Human Target television series, and at the end he's in the back of the limo. Wow, he just you look at how he's aged, and then you look at Mel Gibson like with um, the Edge of Darkness, mm. and how Mel still looks like he could. You know, that he could scrap with somebody as opposed to Danny, who just kind of looks a little tired and a little sick. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe that's just a sign of good acting. I, I don't know, but it just kind of like, it, it makes me kind of sad at the same time because it's like, well, well, I did, we did get four Lethal Weapon movies, but granted, out of the four, one's excellent. I, I, there, there are pieces of the second one that I like. The, mm. the third one is kind of a mess. And then the fourth one, I'm sorry, they don't beat Jet Li. No. They don't. <laughs> No, and, and the problem with me, for me anyway is in the UK, we got a censored version of number four to get the 15 certificate. So there's even less evidence that Jet could kick everybody's ass in that movie, mm. um, which is even more embarrassing. But, um, but two, two gets dark. Two gets very, very dark. You know, there's the second he sleeps with Patsy Kensit, that, that, that all bets are off. You know, as soon as that helicopter suddenly comes in, those searchlights kick in and they, they machine gun the hell out of that trailer. That's where, you know, the term, you know, I'm going to get little rigs on you, um, you know, <laughs> comes from. It's He's that dislocated shoulder popping in crazy bastard that you, you, you love to hate. Um, or not even hate, you just, I, I, I just, I love that character. He is the quintessential, um, you know, maverick cop, that, and that was my first introduction to to that kind of that kind of character, that kind of genre, to the point where I did um, write a short screenplay called Lethal Weapon Junior, <laughs> which featured skateboarding, uh, my being adopted by Mel Gibson, and um, learning how to shoot a nine millimeter Beretta. But we'll move on. Did you yeah. have a mullet too? I didn't have a mullet. I didn't have. I had sort of curtains at the front, which was kind of either side. Okay. Because this was kind of 1992 at this point, and you know yeah, that was coming in. All right, gotcha. but it was. <laughs> okay, you're good. You're good. Nothing to worry about. You're good. Then. Thanks, man. Um, I probably I probably wore a shell suit. I don't know. Um, Kurt Russell, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, oh, we're about to get some thunder gods up in here. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yes. Not not a, not a, not an ounce of martial arts skill in that man, but he pulled it off. Exactly, and he knew how to shoot a semi-automatic weapon. That, yes. That's all he really needed to know how to do. Words cannot explain how bizarre this movie is. The the title says it all. And then there's a scene. There's a scene where you know character that, that you know once we started playing Mortal Kombat, I just decided to call the dude Raiden. It's it's an action adventure mystery. I just like it because essentially Jack Burton is like Han Solo, Indiana Jones, and a cowboy all in one. Um, this is Carpenter, isn't it? I think it's so. It's still yeah, it's still Carpenter because he's still on the back of Escape from New York. And it's basi- It's almost like if Snake Plissken was a nice guy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like the whole the whole premise of the, of the movie is basically um, you have this this trucker Jack Burton, who accidentally gets dragged into this um, mystical battle in Chinatown. That's really all I can tell you. And 
the bad guy the bad guy was uh was it Wang Chi was the bad guy? Or no, or was it Lopan? Lopan was the bad guy. Lopan Lo with the long fingernails. Yes, Lopan was the bad guy played by James Hong. You'll never see a movie like this ever again. He was creepy. He was creepy as hell. He's um, he's very creepy. And now, granted, and some people might might think this movie it may, may feel that this movie is extremely offensive and uh, super stereotypical. But yeah, this is a classic '80s action film. When you say Big Trouble in Little China, I'm, I'm a big fan too. Um, but I think of two movies. I think of um, Showdown in Little Tokyo, okay. which is a '90s movie, of course. But I also think Golden Child. <laughs> And f- for for me, I think Golden Child is probably a bigger movie for me than Showdown uh, from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. As as much as I, I love it, um, Golden Child struck a chord in me as well. And there was that fascination at that time with the East and mysticism and Shaolin. And it was just that kind of resurgence that, that you, we experienced in kind of like the, the, the late 70s. But Golden Child has much better one-liners. <laughs> it's, it's just got the chunky asses. Still to this day, find that movie hilarious. When when uh, Eddie Murphy is like hopping over fence fence to fence, and he interrupts that one family that freaks out, and he says, "Hey, hey, turn that burger over. It's burning." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that that scene is that scene is ridiculous. See, as a kid, I love the Golden Child. I can't I can't watch that movie now. Really? I, and there are a lot of things from my childhood. I'm like, you know what? This is from my childhood. So if it's not as good as it, as it once was, I can deal with it. That movie, mm. I just I can't watch. The only scene I can watch from The Golden Child is when he goes to that temple and walks yes. up to that rolling scroll because he's trying to. That's the only scene I can watch and I lose it. Come on, do the line at least. <laughs> he was like, I, 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 I want the knife. <laughs> And and then like everybody's looking, and he's just like, well, maybe you know, and this mind's like, maybe I did it wrong. And he's like, he spun the scroll again. He's like, I want the knife. <laughs> then he looks again, rolls the scroll. Please, oh, I love it. It's 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 just <laughs> it's hilarious. But the uh, the baddie, the bad guys in that movie though, you're dealing with child kidnap and sacrifice. That's a PG movie in this country. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, he's he's. Uh, Dealing with cases I would expect to see dealt with on the shield. Right. You know, he's busting through doors in, in this neighborhood and there's blood splattered on the walls and there's a biker gang who steals children and drains their blood and writes with it. It was kind of screwed up. It was critically panned because, now granted, in the States it was PG-13. So that kind of, you know, that kind of plot was acceptable and passable for PG-13. And like with Big Trouble in Little China, you also have kidnapping and and like brainwashing and stuff and stuff like that too. Now, granted, Golden Child like blew away Big Trouble in Little China in the box office because you know mm. Ed, Eddie was a big star. Eddie could do no wrong. So yeah, I mean, think about it. Big Trouble in Little China made eleven million dollars, but that's that's a stable for John Carpenter films in the eighties. John Carpenter mm. films didn't make a lot of money, but they didn't cost a lot of money. Um, if you you know if you're allowed to look at the books, but you know Eddie Murphy was like the big gun. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, they're two different films. Way, you know, two way oh, completely, completely, completely different films. It's just, yeah, I suppose sort of thematically, and and you know, the the, the East and all the mysticism and stuff. The, the the I will finish on the Golden Child on this. He's on the plane. He's on the plane, and the the old lady next to him turns to him and says, "A hunnis and a hunnis," and he says, "And he says, no, I'm fine, thank you." I love that scene. It's just, and again, it's me, my circle of friends, the amount of time somebody has turned to me and says, a hunters and a hunters, and I'm, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. <laughs> Thank you. I love that thing. That's fantastic. 
films, Lisa. Mm-hmm. A really interesting seg- segue. What you think about all these '80s films? We've talked about Chuck Norris, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, uh, Van Damme, Clint Eastwood. All these dudes had like slews. I mean, just a slew of action films during the '80s. Okay, they yeah. were action stars. I mean, they could act and do other things, but they were action stars. Technically. There were no black action stars in the 80s. Eddie Murphy was a megastar that did action films and comedies, but Mm. there was no black action star. The closest thing you got was Carl Weathers' Action Jackson. Oh, you stole it right. No, 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 no. no, no, I'm not not stealing it from you. I'm not stealing it from (laughs) you. You can have it. You can have it. It's okay. I mean, still, think about it. That's all you had. There Mm. was no black action star. There were normally comedians who can't, you know, like Eddie Murphy's a perfect example. And this is the way it is. It's been with a lot of actors. It's a comedian who came in and did an action movie that hit. Denzel has some, has some action movies, but, you know, he's more known for dramas. So when you do something as kind of bizarre as virtuosity with a young Russell Crowe, people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Yeah. But, but then you take it a little bit too far with the movie he did with uh, John Lithgow which I can't remember the name of right now, and I'm sure somebody's screaming. But that movie went to so far of an extreme, people were like, well, I, feel, I don't think I can get with this. And it took like until like the late 90s, early 2000s, really the 2000s to let... It's Blade. It's Blade, isn't it? Well, Snipes playing Blade? Yeah, pretty... No, th- there you go, Snipes. Snipes is your action star. Yeah, Snipes. Passenger pa- Passenger 57 is about as close as you're going to get to Die Hard with a black protagonist. You're absolutely right. So Wesley Snipes was... It basically took until the 90s to get that official black action star and I, you know and that's a good point and i never really thought about that but um but normally it's you come from comedy to do an action film now even with wesley snipes is a good example though but even wesley did comedies like wildcats he was in the bad video with michael jackson telling michael that he ain't nothing <laughs> yeah see people forget about that shit no 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 no. i had that i had a conversation with someone the other day about the bad video and and their their remembrance of it and my memory of it was I was convinced Michael Jackson was going to get killed in that video because he's easy. Your bird is mad. You listen, you have girly hair, you're very thin and you're not packing. Clearly the other gang is, this isn't West side story. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get your skull caved in at some point. But see, that's why Michael always rolled deep. Michael had that crew. (laughs) Michael always came with a crew you know, he all, he always did. But, um, (laughs) But, but, no. the, but the crew consisted of many like-minded individuals who would fight with dance as well. So right, but I, see, still th- but see, I still them- think at some point someone's going to pull something. Oh, yeah, but see, all <laughs> them dudes could get shot. Michael could run away. Yes. And he <laughs> ran a lot in, Moon, in, in Moonwalker. Uh-oh. Usually away from an animated bunny. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But, but, when, but when Michael turned into a Transformer, that was cool, though. It was cool. That 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 was cool. That they spent all the budget on that right there. You're not digressing. You're and, still on point. But no, it all works. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like in the '80s, there really there were no black action stars. Like I said before, it was actors who either did comedies or dramas that said, "Okay, we can make this person an action star and sell it as an action vehicle." Whereas mm-hmm. opposed to like a Chuck Norris or Schwarzenegger or something like that, just like, "Look, this is an action film. You know what you're getting." You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to get Van Damme to do um, Shakespeare. You know what I mean? No. It's just, it's although, a, although I'd like to see Van Damme in Philadelphia, that might be quite interesting. <laughs> he goes, he goes to Denzel Washington, tells him that he has AIDS, and then does like a, a bicycle kick. No, I'm thinking. Well, no, I'm just thinking. You know, it, it's only fair he takes Denzel's part. You know, and then den, put Denzel in Bloodsport. 
I think I think it could work. That would I think be it, interesting. Denzel fighting with a bag, I can see that. You know, yes. I've seen Book of Eli. He improvised a couple of times in that. Yes. It, it could be interesting, but I, I just don't think I don't think Tom Hanks would respond well to to Van Damme. No, I, think so <laughs> like, I don't think it will work. Like, excuse me. Um, uh, you know what? I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you these DVDs of Bosom Buddies, and I want you to watch these. Yes, they're kind of bad, but there's some acting in there that you might possibly be able to learn from this. And Van Damme's like, look, man, I've done action movies my entire life. I do want to do something serious. So leave me alone and just let me do my thing. Yeah, here's, here's Punchline. And he's like, yes, well, look, here's, here's a video I did. It's called Breakdance. I'm in the background. And, um, yeah, you, please just don't watch Kickboxer because I embarrass myself completely in that. See, I, I wasn't going to bring up Kickboxer because we've done Bloodsport, yes. which is essentially the same film, but without glass on your hand. When I was watching Bloodsport, I was like, wait a minute, isn't this the scene where they wrap up their arms in the tape and then put, huh? you put glass like... Oh, that was kickboxing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just have to wait for them to shout "Nuxu cow, Nuxu cow," which apparently means the white warrior, and then you're in kickboxer territory. Although, if you look at um, Tong Po, which is the bad guy at the end of Kickboxer, he has the same amount of lines as Bolo has in Bloodsport. Same kind of dubbing. Same. Um, you walk up to him at the end and wind him up by saying that he raped his girlfriend and, and, and other such classic lines. They're almost identical movies, yes. um, but, but still awesome. I'm about ready to do Die Hard. Do you want to do Die Hard? Yes, yes, let's do Die Hard. Yes, yes, let's. We'll do Die Hard. Um, Die Hard should have been a Matt and I Idols episode. We, we recorded it, and it was so bad that, that we never released it. And if, if you're going to do Die Hard, you have to be in a good mood, because Die Hard is a feel-good movie. Both Lethal Weapon and Die Hard are testosterone-filled Christmas movies. They're both set at Christmas, but it's, if you're not feeling It's a Wonderful Life and Jingle All the Way, you, as a guy, in your, in your early 30s to mid-whatever, you should watch either Lethal Weapon or Die Hard every Christmas because they are our Christmas movies. Die Hard pretty much came for me about two months after I watched Lethal Weapon. And I recorded both of them, and the same channel put them both out. So in the ITV version of Die Hard, you will not hear a swear word. So imagine my um, surprise to hear that Yippee didn't finish with the line Kimusavi on the DVD version. <laughs> because that's what ITV did. Yeah, Yippee Kimusavi. Although they left the... Um, um, I'm not the one that just got butt-fucked on national TV, Dwayne. They left that in. They left that in. Die Hard is, um, again, I keep saying quintessential for each of these movies, which surely means that they're on their own, but they're, they're not. They're just held so high in my mind. Yeah, um, absolute classic now, because there's been so many kind of copycats of this movie, and we, I don't want to talk about the sequel. But Bruce Willis uh, driving to L.A., for Christmas to meet up with his then separated wife to see if he can spend Christmas and reconcile some dispute that they've had over her uh, following a career and moving to LA and working for Mr. Nakatomi uh, in, in uh, Nakatomi Plaza. The tagline for this movie uh, was 12 terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. 
that's just the way he likes it. Die hard. <laughs> and then it, I think it was excitement on every level was another tagline. But essentially, the entire building is completely vacant because a lot of it is under construction, apart from the 30th floor where there is a party being held for the Nakatomi Corporation. And Alan Rickman, who is the best terrorist ever, yes. arrives with his... Again, colourful cast of characters, um, incredibly organised group of um, terrorists to uh, basically take over the Nakatomi building. But his real interest is the safe. He, he wants uh, the bearer bonds and uh, valuables that are inside the safe. So he he's basically um, wants to prolong the process and have the cops and the FBI outside think that it's a hostage situation for the Asian dawn. He wants to release the, um, arrange the release of all these people around the world, but actually it's a big ruse. He just wants the money and he takes a fancy to John McClane's wife, whose blouse becomes more and more unbuttoned during the course of this movie. And uh, John doesn't like that. And John loses his shoes and then gets his feet cut up and then makes best friends with Sergeant Al Powell of the LA police department outside. And they have many bonding sequences and Al eats lots of Twinkies and um, things explode and Bruce swears and it's all kinds of awesome. Yeah, how could you not like Die Hard? I don't, I've never met a person that, that I, I've met lots of people that said, "Oh, I've never seen that," but I've never met someone that's seen it and not liked it. Yep. So yet, yet again, another film that my mother took me to go see at the movie theater. Oh. Was, Me and your mum are going to have to talk, <laughs> and I'm going to have to get your mum to talk to my mum. Not that she, not that my mum would understand what Skype is like, but you know, then we could maybe go and see, I don't know, Expendables together. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really loved about the film is like you talked about Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is the quintessential bad guy. I think he was the model that so many people tried to imitate in the late '80s, early '90s, and no one could come close to that. You know, Rickman is just one hell of an actor. And no one comes as close to, you know, the role of Hans Gruber than Alan Rickman. Just, cl- just flat out, just that classy villain. Alan, Hans Gruber is a villain. There, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. You know, a lot of movies nowadays, you try to make the villains likable. Villains are not supposed to be likable. If they're supposed to be likable, then they're not villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, I dug that character so much. And every time now I see Reginald Vell, jo- Reginald Vell Johnson or Sergeant Al Powell, I always think, I always want to call him Mr. Winslow. And, <laughs> you know, like, Mr. Winslow just shot somebody. He ain't fired his gun in years. Yeah. Oh, but, no. Um, but no. It yeah. looked real enough. Guy had a ray gun, you know. <laughs> but no, it's, Die Hard is just that all-time classic. Anytime it's on, I can watch it. I can never get tired of it. It's... It, you know, it's, it's one of those McTiernan movies, man. It's when McTiernan was on top of his game. Mm. I mean, say what you want about the sequels. It's like, you know, a lot of people don't like Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2 is like a 50-50 film with me. 50% of it I love. and 50% of it I'm like, this makes no sense. And, yeah. and like with Die Hard with a Vengeance, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's a buddy action film, but it's kind of smart. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some ridiculousness in it, but really, all the Die Hard films have ridiculousness. So. Oh, without a doubt, one and three are my favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, that's in, in that order. You know, I, I can easily forget two, even though the T-1000 is in that movie. Um, yeah, even though um, the, the, the lethal Terminator himself is one of the terrorists in that film. Yeah. Is it Robert Patrick? Yeah, it should be Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, yeah. Um, and again, you've got a villain who practices Kung Fu naked. In a in a Van Damme kind of way, that was quite disturbing in in Die Hard too. I did I didn't understand that, um, but to get back to one, Alan Rickman, and again, I mean, I'm I'm I love lines in movies. I love 
those one-liners and those pieces of dialogue and those monologues that stay with us, whether it's whether it's Christopher Walken versus Dennis Hopper in True Romance, or it's the opening scene from The Godfather, or there are mem- memorable pieces of dialogue that just sort of resonate with us and stay with us. But these movies, those pieces of dialogue are so short and so punchy and so snappy that, like I said, you would run to school and recite this stuff. But with Alan Rickman, he is an actor um, kind of coming to this genre and gracing us with his presence for, for two hours. His stuff, when he's on the screen, you just want him to be back again. Yep. One, one of the things I was thinking the other day about this film is that when he, when he, he, he he's incredibly charismatic and he delivers all, the, all this great dialogue and he has all that, you know, the classic gets in the elevator and he looks at Takagi and says, nice suit. And then he says, Jean Philippe's London, I have two myself, and then shoots the guy in the head. Hmm. And he does all this great stuff and then he figures out where John is and he goes up to the roof to check out what John's been messing up and then he pretends to be one of the hostages and he pretends to be a character called Bill Clay and does a not an okay American accent mm-hmm. McLean is quite impressed with it but everything changes about him even to his hair his hair is kind of like slunk down and he sells it and I like Hans Gruber I don't like Bill Clay and and again, just a sign of an incredible actor. There are not a lot of people, if you cast anyone else in that movie, that could pull off that scene. Right. The scene where he transforms from Bill Clay back to Hans and turns on the, he turns on the CB communicator while John's back is turned. And, of course, John's given him a gun that's not loaded and puts the cigarette down. Uber cool scene. But I can't imagine anyone else being able to pull that off. Or any of that movie. You couldn't. He makes that film. Yes, uh, Bruce Willis. It made Bruce Willis, and and Bruce Willis is awesome in that film. But give me if if somebody said, okay, you have to lose somebody from this film and replace them with someone else, Alan Rickman would be the last person I would mess with because he's he's incredible in that film. Yes. Absolutely incredible. I I love him in that movie, and it was such a nice little treat to have that remembrance of of that with Jeremy Irons in the third film. I I, I like that element to it. With the with the him, he's his nephew or his brother. He's his brother, isn't he? He's Gruber's brother. Yeah, he's Gruber's brother. Yes, yes. Mm. I, yeah, Die Hard is a is a huge one for me. So, eighties um, thumbs up for Die Hard, and and watch it every Christmas. You know, when when somebody says here's Jingle All the Way or Santa Claus the Movie, just put Die Hard on instead. You know. <laughs> And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 on the Rock Solid Steel Bots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead and uh, get this started, and I will try my best not to take your movies off my list. <laughs> well, do you know what? That's, that's going to be half the fun of it. And uh, the, the only thing that I was going to say was the, the kind of the list I've compiled. For me, the, the movies that I've kind of put down in my eyes when I watched them, they were action movies. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, I, and I, I, because of the way the 80s was, and especially with like, the American industry, 
Um, there's stuff in there that I wouldn't necessarily put in as like a kung fu movie. It would be like an American action movie that happens to have martial arts in it or something <coughs> like that. And like, oh, I don't know how sort of stringent you want it to be. Or man, I, I'm footloose and fancy free, sir. Cool. So you fantastic. You there good. we go. All right, all right. Let's get this. Uh, let's get this puppy moving. Let me check sound levels. Okay. Uh, can you give me a sound check, Matt? So, a mic check one two. Can I get a reverb? Death of auto tune. Here we go. <laughs> you sound good, <laughs> sir. You sound good. good. All right. All right. Here we go. Now, one th- one thing. I, one thing I always enjoy about Matinee Idols is the fact that you have literally four diverse opinions. Um, you know, you've got Alec, who maybe, like you said, maybe a youngin, but he's pretty. You know, he's pretty wise in what he knows. Oh, yeah. But you know, he'll tell you if he doesn't know something. You know what I mean? And um, I always dig that. Just this complete honesty. You have Vern, the actor, who you know really looks intensely in the film and slags on Avatar. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Amongst the, others, yeah. Then you know, then you have Joey, who you know not only is a you know. A, really good in critiquing film but he looks at things from like the auteur standpoint and you know and then then we have you who just loves movies in general and always like brings it back to the hey why can't we just enjoy this movie instead of like analyzing it so much to think that oh this film could cure cancer you know what i mean it's yeah. it, it there's four diverse voices which at the which when the show is over you know i either i laugh or i'm like or you know i just enjoy the episode period that er kind of sound like I was constipated. I'm gonna have to cut that out. Um, no, 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 no. As Alec would say, that's gold. That's gold. <laughs> you keep keep that in. But um, Joey would cut that out for sure. But no, I say leave it in. The yeah. constipation's fine. It's it, it's natural. You live where you live, and you know if you've had a bad pizza, that's fine. <laughs> okay. We'll check it. No, I, that's a good movie. Oh, it's real good. But I've gone on f- far long. Go, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. That's absolutely fine. Joe, I made this point yesterday. I was talking to um, Joey and Alec, and I said, um, I'm recording with um, Sean tomorrow night. And uh, and one thing always strikes me with Sean is Sean always says, especially when he's on interviews, but I digress, or I'm the king of segues. You you, you are not, sir. <laughs> Without a doubt. I'll, I'll show you some, some segues. <laughs> it's like, uh, you... you, you Believe me, you stay on point. There's always something there. You always stay within the subject. So um, that that drives me nuts. I'll be in the car and I'll hear, but I digress. You're not digressing. You're on the subject. It's fine. <laughs> the guy's digging what you're saying. <laughs> I don't need the knife. You, you do. Yes, you, you, do. You, oh, you need the knife. You need a giant drain pipe to fight him with. And you probably need a gun as well. I don't need a knife. You do. Keep the knife. For goodness sake. <laughs> As Fred Sanford would say, you big dummy. But, mm. um, but no, um, and no. Commando, oh, Commando is awesome. It is. Was he, and I know this is 90s, but was he then in the movie version of Mortal Kombat? I'm sure there is a character in Mortal Kombat that has his accent. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive. I'm sure he goes up against like Sonya Blade at the beginning and he's got his accent. I could have sworn it was Freddie Mercury, but... You know, heavy set. I uh, know the guy that plays Kano in Mortal Kombat. I think is a different dude because I know you're talking. It, I know. I know you're talking he's about. He's very similar, isn't he? Very, very similar. Because like, Sonya, Sonya Blade. Because I because I cut her from here to here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was. Uh, hold on. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Because that that's gonna bug me now. That is really going to bug me. It was so Bennett-like. It was um, untrue. Kano was played by. Uh, oh crap! Let's see here. 
that no that no, that movie when did that movie come out? Oh, I'm, I'm glad for the power. I'm happy for the power of editing. So I don't know if I can hear this. Uh, hear this part. <laughs> well, Bennett was played by Vernon Wells. Yes. Uh, let's see here. And, and obviously, he would be very old if he was in Mortal Kombat. So Mortal, I can't Mortal Kombat, 1995. Yeah. And Kano was played by Trevor Goddard. Who is the adopted son of Vernon Wells, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Although Vernon Wells, <laughs> Vernon Wells did show up in some Power Rangers stuff um, oh. in, in the 90s. Yes, he did. Was he Megazord? No, he was. No, he was uh, <laughs> He was like, he, I think his name was like Rancid or Rancic or something like that. I think he played uh, Rancic, but uh, one, one of the, like one of the main baddies. But um, but yeah, good good stuff, good stuff. Cool. But it no, is your pick, sir, oh. I believe. During the research break, I want to let you know that PKD Media Black Brothers is brought to you today by Fat Boy Burgers, who were produced by the Large Kid from. No retreat, no surrender. <laughs> yes, you too can have mayonnaise across your face and wipe it on a t-shirt. That's hot. It was hot back then. It's hot now. <laughs> I'm going to throw in an honorable mention real quick. A film that came out a year before Lethal Weapon, which was also a buddy cop film. Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines, Running Scared. Okay. Have Again, you have you, no, you ever seen this no, movie? No, I'm being educated. You go. Okay. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you because it's not on my list. If you get some free time, go check it out. It's directed by Peter Hyams. Uh, Peter Hyams has uh, directed films uh, such as um, Outland, which was like a sci-fi action thriller. He directed 2010, The Presidio, Time Cop, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He he also directed another Jean-Claude Van Damme film called Sudden Death, and he also directed the movie where uh, Schwarzenegger fought the devil, End of Days. Um, Yeah, I know. He he directed those. Did he do Eraser as well? No, no, he didn't do Eraser. But, I, <laughs> but see, I like Eraser though. Even, oh no! I, 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 look, I know Eraser's bad. I do. Once again, he I, has laser cannons. Yo, yo! But when he comes out, when he comes out from under that rubble with those laser cannons, walking like the Terminator, you cannot tell me you don't get hyped when that happens. <laughs> you cannot tell me you do not get hyped when that when that scene jumps off. I'm like, I need I need bullets from Schwarzenegger. I can't have the nah. <laughs> no, man. No, okay, that's another show. It's another show. Billy Crystal, focus now. But no, <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, go 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 watch Running Scared. It's made in '86. Don't get it confused with with a film by the same name starring Paul Walker that came out in 2006. It's a completely different film. Okay. Um, but no, it's called Running Scared. Uh, peep it.